Good Morning Doctor is made possible with Mount Elizabeth Hospitals. Take charge of your health today. The biggest stars. Five, four, three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. The biggest names in music. Oh, wow. Big names. Big songs. Big guests. Big prizes. Well, it's a big show. The Big Show. Put your hands together for the one and only... Glenn, Angel, FD, and Sean. That's what I'm talking about! 1FM 91.3. Good times, greatest hits. Good morning, Singapore, and welcome to the biggest and best breakfast show in Singapore. It's The Big Show with Glenn Angel, FD, and Sean. Well, it's a Wednesday, and so we welcome a doctor on our segment called Good Morning, Doctor. Dr. Wee Chi Kyung, neurologist at Mount Elizabeth Hospital. Thank you so much, Dr. Wee, for joining us. Morning, guys. Good, good morning. morning to everyone on the radio. Good morning, Doctor. Thanks so much for joining us, Doctor. Today, we're going to be talking about strokes. You are a neurologist, after all. Uh, perhaps we could start by explaining what is a stroke. Okay, so in very simple terms, a stroke is what happens when you have an interruption of the blood supply to the brain. Okay, so there's two types. Uh, one, where the blood vessel gets occluded, gets blocked up, we call it an ischemic stroke. So the brain is deprived of oxygen and the cells die. So that's ischemic stroke. The other type of stroke is what we call hemorrhagic stroke, where there's a rupture or the blood vessel burst within the brain. And again, the, the brain loses blood supply and neurons or brain cells are damaged. Uh, essentially, all over the world, uh, ischemic strokes are the most predominant type of strokes. It varies between about 80 to 90 percent, depending on where you are. Down in Singapore and in most parts of Asia, ischemic strokes are about 20, uh, sorry, 80 percent. Uh, hemorrhagic strokes about 20%. And that's just because for some reason, Asians are more prone to having hemorrhagic strokes. Okay. Mm. okay. Can someone have a stroke and perhaps maybe not know about it? Is it possible? Uh, well, that is possible. That is entirely possible. Now, <clears throat> now, we need to understand what a stroke is before we go further into that. See, when every single movement, including my speech and what I'm doing, my hands right now are controlled by my brain. Okay, certain parts of my brain cells are controlling all the movements. So if I have an interruption of the blood supply to the part of the brain and that loses its function, I would instantly feel certain symptoms. For example, if I were not able to move my arm, you'll be weak. Mm. If my part of my mouth becomes weak, my speech becomes slurred and you see a drooping on my face. Okay, mm. now... So these are the most common manifestations of a stroke. Now, if you were to have a stroke in a more silent part of the brain, perhaps the frontal parts where you're more concerned with connection, you might not have such an obvious uh, sort of manifestation and, and you might not even know. This will show up on the MRI or, uh, or other scans that you do for other investigations as a small, a small gap or a small silent lacune that we see in the brain and that's, uh, that tells us that was a previous scar. Mm. So yes, that is possible, but the silent strokes comprise usually the minority. Although we are seeing more and more these days because we are doing more investigations and more scans. I see. Wow. Uh, doctor, is it true that anyone can get a stroke despite your health? You could be the healthiest person in the world and still get a stroke. Or it age? can strike anyone at any age. 
Okay, not to be not to not to catastrophize about this, but uh, yes, uh, stroke can happen to anybody. In fact, if you look at the uh, global estimates, the lifetime risk of stroke for people in our region is about twenty percent. So one in four to five of us can expect to have a stroke in life in oh our my, lifetime. Wow. Oh my gosh, that's a Why very that's a very. So to, <laughs> is that so, because so of it the? It's important for me. Go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, go on. No, you go ahead, please. Yeah, so 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 I want to get a message out to people that you know you could have a stroke. It is it is a common illness. One one in four to five of us can have it in our lifetime, and and around the world, it is one of the biggest causes of disability. You know, adult disability, as in you become disabled after a stroke. So it is important to get the message out. Uh, the good news, though, is it tends to happen when we are older. You know, uh, around sixty and above. Oops. Uh, Not so, good news for so uh, FD. Mm. Uh, yeah. Right, daddy is age on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's alright. He's it's not okay. shy. Everybody about knows age. he's yeah. sixty-six this yeah. year. Yeah, I'm sixty-six this year. It doesn't bother me. Yeah, age. Uh, go for health screening will keep you healthy. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> anyway, it's true. Uh, anyway, uh, if you we do have a stroke registry in Singapore where we document the number of strokes we have every year. Okay, so. All through the years, from 2010 to about 2019, about three quarters of strokes happen in those 60 years and above. Mm. Okay, and it tends to hit men more than women. So about 55 or so percent are usually men, and women get about 40 over percent. Okay. Men also tend to have it younger, around the age of 66, thereabouts. Oh. And woman about seventy-two. <laughs> <Oops>. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. No, this this actually seriously blows my mind because I had no idea that uh, people above the age of sixty. I mean, yeah, sixty uh, a yeah. bit more high prone. Yeah, um, but to, to get I, I, I mean that's with a lot of a uh, lot of medical issues as well. The older you get, the more prone you are, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong. That is true. It's part of aging. Now, if you look at strokes, we always talk about you know prevention. We always tell people look uh, check for diabetes, check for hypertension, you know uh, cholesterol stuff like that. But one risk factor that we can never modify is actually age. Mm. And we know every ten years after the age of sixty, your risk of stroke doubles. Ooh, wow! Okay. So that's one non-modifiable. Yeah, it's, it's one non-modifiable risk factor. Wow. So, okay. So while well, it's very common, I, I do not want people to panic and catastrophize. Yep. But I think the word that I want to get at is, look, if you have a stroke, <clears throat> learn to recognize the symptoms, get yourself to emergency fast. Because there are now effective treatments that we have to try to minimize the damage due to the stroke, to improve your function, and you know, try to get back as good a quality of life as you possibly can for you. Mm. Okay. okay. Right. Well, none of this is possible if you come late, you see. Yeah. Right. Okay. We're speaking to uh, Dr. Wee Chi Kyung, neurologist at Mount Elizabeth Hospital, on our segment called Good Morning Doctor. It's getting very, very interesting. We'll continue to talk to Dr. Wee on the Big Show TV. In the meantime, here's John Farnham with You're the Voice on 1FM 91.3. So let's get to the warning signs. Then. Yes. So, doctor, you you said if if you if you if you have a stroke, you could lose uh, uh, a certain amount of usage in your arms. I I've heard of the the drooping of the face. Yeah, that's very common. Uh, yeah. Are there any other signs other than this that we should look out for? Okay. So so there's a there's an acronym we have to teach people how to recognize stroke, but principally. Uh, by the time you get any symptoms, the stroke is already in progress. It mm. already has happened. See, the moment you 
lose blood supply to certain portions of the brain. Now, brain cells, neurons are super sensitive to loss of blood supply. Within minutes, they lose their function. So almost exactly at the moment you feel the symptoms, you are already getting a stroke. Mm. Okay, so there's no pre-stroke warning. That is a misconception that many people have. Okay, mm. okay. So, so because the brain cells are packed so tightly within the brain, okay, so usually when you lose some of those cells, you lose function in half the body. And how, how God has made us is that the right... Oh, I'm... Am I on, it's am okay. I on Don't worry about it. Yeah. Okay. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so the right brain controls the left half of the body, or the left brain controls the right half of the body. Mm-hmm. So, if you get a stroke on the right side, you will tend to have weakness or numbness on the left side. Okay. And uh, <clears throat> if it hits your face, of course, you get a droopy face. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the droopy face comes along with slurred speech. Essentially, because you've got big muscles in your muscle, uh, in your muscles that are responsible for articulation, for simplicity's sake, mm. you get weakness in the arms and the legs. So the acronym we give people, and that's available on YouTube and and, and the Singapore Stroke Association website, is fast. If you see a person with a droopy face uh, uh, and a weak arm, okay, uh, and and slurred speech, what you need to do is you need to call nine one one immediately and get them. Uh, 995, sorry, uh, immediately to get them to the hospital. I'm saying 911 because we, we participate in many international conferences. Yeah. It just comes yeah, off. Yeah. No, it just goes off yeah. the okay. Yeah. Right. Oh. So you get them to the hospital emergently, and, and there, if we can determine uh, that it's due to obstructive uh, obstruction in the artery, we can do a couple of things to try to, to, try to restore blood flow as soon as we can. Mm. But that's only available within short span of time because beyond about four and a half hours or so the brain cells would have died for those with a small stroke mm. Mm. for those with a large artery occlusion where the big blood vessel is blocked you can actually try to go in with uh, endovascular means that means you send a wire up into the brain you try to pull out the clot wow so this one you can do up to six hours or sometimes even 24 hours depending on how the stroke is like mm. okay doctor you mentioned earlier that uh you can't really detect a stroke before it happens, right? Am I right to say that? That's you what you said? That is correct. But you did yeah. also say that there are certain lifestyle factors that increase one's um, possibility of getting a stroke. Can you just go through those lifestyle factors mm. again and what we should be minimizing in terms of whether it's food or activities and stuff like that? Okay, so there's a few things that contribute to, to the risk of a person getting a stroke. So there was a there was a study that was done in 2010, the interstroke, interstroke study, but we found about, you can hear me? We yes, found about uh, 10 risk factors that contribute to about 90% of all strokes. This 10 are modifiable. Okay, so the biggest one everybody knows about it really, I'm really nagging, is smoking. Smoking yeah. increases your risk of a stroke and it's the only one thing that's entirely within your control. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> now the next big risk factor is hypertension. It increases your risk of getting a stroke by about two times. So get it, uh, so get it controlled. Screen for hypertension uh, according to the national guidelines around around age of forty or so. When you visit your GP, ask them to check your blood pressure. It's easy enough. Okay. You, know, you don't have to have hypertension. You don't yep. have to get a stroke. Okay. The other risk factors like uh, diabetes and high, uh, high cholesterol also do increase the risk of you getting a stroke. Uh, uh, in terms of magnitude, and in terms of the added risk that they give you, is a bit less. The major ones are smoking, hypertension. Smoking and then hypertension. For folks who are, yeah. And then for folks who are older, 
for folks who are older, like say beyond the age of uh, 60 plus, 70, they tend to get atrial fibrillation, which is irregular heartbeat. Mm. Mm. So that increases the risk of you getting a stroke by about two times or more. Wow, okay. So oh. it is a good idea to check out your GP if you have irregular heartbeat to see whether you have uh, atrial fibrillation. Okay. Okay, so that's for the individual. The biggest risk factors usually are hypertension, atrial fibrillation, and smoking, the three biggest ones. Mm. Mm. Uh, but if you talk about population, then for Singapore, we found that about 80% of our stroke patients have hypertension and hypercholesterolemia uh, or hyperlipidemia. So for the general population, get a cholesterol screen, get your hypertension checked out. You know, these are things that we can possibly do to stop you from getting a stroke. Essentially, you don't want to see me. Yeah, 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 for, yeah, sure, yeah. for sure. <laughs> okay, so, so uh, just, just a question uh, of our list. Is it common in a certain age group or patient? You mentioned more men getting it than women. Why is that? Uh, we don't really know, to be honest okay. with you. <laughs> okay. Is it because we it's get angry all the time? Yeah. Like, guys, guys, like, <laughs> yeah. very stressed, yeah. very stressed. <laughs> Uh, well, stress is a risk factor for stroke, yeah. Um, that is interesting because certain other population studies have shown that women tend to get more strokes. So, oh, wow. Oh, okay. okay. It varies a little bit. But if you look at the absolute percentages, uh, women 45% or so, men 55% or so, okay. not very different. So not very know. different. I have a question on Facebook. One of our listeners are, is asking, oh, I'm lost. Okay, there. Uh, does acupuncture help to speed up healing after having a stroke? Oh, that is a very interesting question. Uh, okay, so so in terms of uh, uh, Western medicine, as we call it, uh, what we need to do is we need to have evidence. So we need to have a group of patients with exactly the same type of stroke going through the exact same type of treatment uh, or sham treatment, and then we compare the outcomes, mm. right? So although acupuncture has been touted as uh, a modality that can help uh, stroke recovery, uh, what we do like is you don't have very many studies showing the efficacy of acupuncture okay. uh, in, in, in helping stroke recovery. But that being said, I have patients who have gone for acupuncture and they, and they noticed that there, there was uh, improvement in the recovery afterwards. Whether it is by chance or because of acupuncture, uh, medical science cannot tell us, not at this moment. The other question that people ask is, is it harmful? Well, I, I don't think there's much harm in trying acupuncture. To be honest with you, I wouldn't recommend against it. But being a doctor who has to practice based on evidence, I cannot truly recommend it as well, although I have no objections to it uh, uh, per se. And I have patients who have gone for it. And there have been uh, Western trained doctors who have been also cross-trained into acupuncture who mm. offer that as part of their services. Mm. And uh, they are the ones who have given acupuncture to my patients before. And based on this, a uh, few anecdotal patients that I have, they do recover. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. okay. So, so Dr. Wee, we're talking about recovery and rehab and stuff like this after uh, having a stroke. Now, strokes can happen in different parts of the brain. Does a stroke permanently weaken that part of the brain? Well, very good question, FD, and that's a bit sad. <clears throat> so, so we need to separate two things. Now, when you have a stroke, you have loss of neuronal cells. Mm. Essentially, those cells don't come back. You are left with the sky in the brain, and that is why when we scan your brain, we uh, we can see sometimes silent strokes. Okay, oh, so right. you can have strokes. Uh, that part of the brain is permanently weakened, so as to speak. You permanently lost the cells over there. But the deficit 
I think the problem that it causes does not have to be permanent. Mm. Essentially, what happens is the brain is a living organ, so there is a certain amount of what we call neuroplasticity, where mm. certain parts of the brain can take over the functions that are lost. Oh, okay. Wow. The other thing that can happen, yeah. So the other thing that can happen is if you have a stroke that causes you to have a bit of weakness in the arm, let's say, if you were to go to the gym every day, work through if we have a, a, a therapist. Okay, doctor, hold on, doctor. Much... Doctor, we'll, we'll go yeah. on the radio right now. Uh, FD will ask you that same, same question. question yeah. Okay. Good morning, Singapore, and welcome back to The Big Show. It is a Wednesday, and uh, we have our segment called Good Morning Doctor, which is uh, one of the most popular shows right now yeah. uh, is, on yeah. the radio. Uh, and this is because um, someone's asking me the other day, how do you guys decide what topics to talk about? How do you guys decide what doctors come onto the show? And I said it's completely up to our listeners. It is. You know, is. what they do is they WhatsApp us and you can do it as well right now, 88550913 and tell us what topics you want us to cover and which doctors you would like us to feature on the show. So mm-hmm. thank you so much for, uh, uh, you know, for your support, guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, we thank uh, the doctor who's with us this morning as well, Dr. Wee Chi Kyung, neurologist at Mount Elizabeth Hospital. We've been talking to him uh, live on the Big Show TV. And uh, FD had a very, very interesting question. I, I did. I, well, at least I thought it was interesting because we were talking about recovery and rehab mm. after a stroke. And my question was, um, strokes happen in different parts of the brain. Um, does that permanently weaken that part of the brain? Yeah, so, Adi, as you were saying, yes, that is true. It permanently weakens the part of the brain. Now, when you have a stroke, uh, neurons or brain cells die in a certain portion of the brain. It leaves a permanent scar that will be seen if you were to repeat an MRI for you uh, years down the road. So the cells that are lost are essentially permanently lost. However, it is important to know that function may not be permanently lost because the brain is itself a living organ and a certain amount of what we call neuroplasticity does happen. So other parts of the brain can actually take over the functions to a certain limited degree. The other part that can happen is as you go through the rehab process with our physiotherapists and occupational therapists, you can actually for example, strengthen the weakened limb that was affected by stroke. <clears throat> so other parts of the other parts of the muscles can take over. So a, a large number of our patients, well, a significant number of our patients do recover good function, but some of them recover to the extent that you can no longer see any symptoms. Wow. That's within certain limitations. <clears throat> because there are other parts of the brain, I say specialized part of the brain, like a speech area that is in the left hemisphere, the left half of the brain. If you lose that, you either lose, you can potentially lose your ability to speak, your expressive speech ability, mm. or your receptive speech ability, as in you cannot understand what people are saying. Uh, those you actually depend mostly upon the natural neuroplasticity to, to occur to try to restore the function, and there seems to be little that we can do to help a person recover. Oh, wow. So mm. some of those functions are permanently lost. Wow. Now, Doctor, uh, back to what we were talking about just now on the Big Show TV as well, for the benefit of uh, uh, those who are just listening to us exclusively on the radio right now, what kind of lifestyle changes should people make in order to to prevent, uh, um, you know, having a stroke? Well, very good question, Glenn. So, uh, the 
we can look at it from two angles. If you look at it from the population angle, then we see what are the risk factors that most of the stroke patients in Singapore have. And if you were to look at the stroke registry data, then about 80% of stroke patients in Singapore have two things. One is hypertension, the other one is high cholesterol. Hmm. So essentially, if you were to control these two risk factors in these people, you could potentially reduce the risk of them getting a stroke or prevent them getting a stroke in the first place. Right. Okay. And if you were to look at scientific studies like the interstroke study that was published in 2010, and we look at the 10 risk factors that they identified that are associated with 90% of all strokes, you will see that the biggest individual risk factor would be things like hypertension, which increases your risk by about two times. Smoking also increases your risk by about two times. And atrial fibrillation. That also increases your risk of getting a stroke by about two to three times. What is that, doctor? What fibrillation? Intraviv- what, what, what is that? A- atrial Irregular fibrillation. So atrial- yeah, that's right, Injo. <laughs> yeah. So, so atrial fibrillation is a condition where the top two chambers of your heart do not beat properly and clots tend to form within. What happens is uh, these clots can then drop out from the ventricle, uh, from the atrium, and drop into the ventricles, which then directs the flow to the rest of the body. Simply because the brain is the organ that takes a large amount of blood from the body, clots tend to go in there, and once oh. it blocks on the arteries, you end up getting a stroke. Mm. So you're saying that the clot comes from the heart because there are certain sort of gaps in it, and then it flows through the artery and then goes straight to the brain, something like that? Oh, something like that. You, you, there's another condition called the pattern formant ovale where there's a gap in the heart. On the atrial fibrillation, the top two chambers, the atria, do not beat. So clots form, and oh. then sometimes it drops out and the ventricle pumps it up to the rest of the body. And these clots can go everywhere. Right, okay, it tends okay. To be more manifest, yeah. It tends to be more manifest within the brain because it, simply because the brain takes out a large amount of blood from the body and the brain is hypersensitive to loss of blood flow. Wow, okay. Right. You know, Doctor, uh, when we come back, I want to talk about uh, what we can do if we experience someone who's having a stroke. All right. We are live on The Big Show and The Big Show TV. Meantime, here's CCR with Have You Ever Seen the Rain on 1FM 91.3. Doctor, what do we do if we see someone or in, we're in a house with someone who is having a stroke? Because what something that was said on our Facebook page also is, uh, do we administer oxygen if someone is having a stroke? Uh, what do we as lay people, I mean, I know we've got to get into the hospital, but is there anything that we can do immediately to help these people? Well, to be honest, if I were to see a person on the street, if I were to see a person on, on the street having a stroke, that's <laughs> zoom bomb. Uh, well, if I see a person on the street having, having a stroke, there's not much I can do immediately as well. But the first thing one can do is always to keep them safe. Now, remember when a person has a stroke, they have substantial weakness and disability. They could just fall over. Mm. They might not. They might even become disorientated as a result of their stroke. So what we got to do is we got to keep them safe. If they're unsteady, sit them down on the chair or on the floor, it doesn't matter. Just make sure mm. they don't fall over and try to get help as uh, try try to try to get help as soon as possible. And if you are in a unusual location, the paramedics might have difficulty locating the person. Mm. So it might be good to hang around to try to help them find the patient to expedite their transfer to the emergency hospital, wherever it might be. Mm. Mm, okay. Um, are there any home remedies to sort of prevent a stroke or sort of help someone who 
who who may be going through a stroke before the help actually comes? Uh, well, unfortunately, there's very little you can do as a home remedy. Okay. You know, uh, the most important is to get them to the hospital as soon as possible. Uh, what one shouldn't do is to try to uh, give them a drink or something. Oh, okay, right. Because sometimes during a stroke, yeah. So mm. sometimes during a stroke, they might have weakness in the, the oral area of the body. Like we mentioned about difficulty speaking, slow speech. That same area of weakness affects the swallowing. So if you were to get panicky and ask them to swallow, well, sometimes what happens is then water or fluids go down the wrong pipe, All gets right. into the lungs, oh, wow. and end up with pneumonia. Right. So just keep them still, keep them safe, wait company for help to arrive. Try to make sure people can find you wherever you are, you know, so you can minimize the time it takes to get to the hospital. That's interesting, doctor, because you said swallowing. One of our listeners has also said swallowing, but swallowing, difficulty swallowing, followed by continuous hiccups. Have you heard hmm. about that? Uh, that happened in the actual stroke patient? Yeah. Non-stop hiccups. Hmm. Well, that is possible. Uh, that is possible because the, the, the brain stem, it is irritated, can actually cause a person to have hiccups. But that would be a rather unusual uh, uh, type of stroke. Hmm. Which is to what after you were saying, you know, are there different types of stroke affecting different areas of the brain? So yes, uh, uh, stroke can affect all, all locations in the brain. Mostly it affects the two hemispheres, but sometimes it affects this area we call the brain stem. It's mm. hard to describe, so... Yeah, Ta-da. that's perfect. Can you see? That's yeah, perfect, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay alright. <laughs> okay, so, so the brain stem is over here, and this is the part that... Co- if you imagine the brain as a giant computer, mm. Okay, so the two top halves are the hemispheres, okay, which, which is where most of the processing happens. And the brainstem connects the brain to the, to the rest of the body. Mm. It also contains uh, vital functions like respiration as well as control of heart rate. So if you get a stroke in this area, it can be particularly catastrophic because everything runs through here. Mm. Ah. Right, okay, okay, so you can get very disabled from a very small stroke. This area also controls swallowing, so you, you can get severe swallowing difficulties. And because the vomiting centers are around here as well, my fingers are off center mm. around here, uh, you can get hiccups. Mm. So that is correct. I know you mentioned there are two of the most common types of uh, strokes, like one is the hemorrhaging type and then the other one, I can't remember the name, but in total, how many different types of strokes are there? Well, essentially, we divide them into those that bleed, which is the hemorrhagic stroke right, okay. and the ischemic stroke. And then we can subdivide the ischemic strokes into about five different types or so. Okay. And the hemorrhagic strokes into another two types, generally. Oh. <clears throat> but uh, this is this is uh, something that um, is a bit too complicated. Complicated, right. yeah. Okay. Mm. Doctor, yeah. Um, you've, you've come across, I mean, many, many patients, uh, uh, stroke patients, that is. How many of the stroke patients actually lose part of their memory? Oh, uh, very good question, Glenn. So, yeah, so, so that is an important uh, complication of stroke that we are starting to recognize these days because you get more and more stroke survivors and mm-hmm. they're living longer. So, uh, acutely after a stroke, people do lose their cognitive functions, especially as mentioned earlier, if you hit your language areas, then you can talk, mm. right? Uh, they also 
tend to lose their cognitive functions, uh, their memory, if you were to hit certain sensitive areas of the brain that are related to the memory loops. Hmm. But what else is interesting is that we find in up to about, uh, well, let's go to that later. But what we find is after a stroke, wherever the location is, on average, you are twice as likely to get dementia as compared to an age-matched peer who didn't have the stroke. So years afterwards, your risk of you getting dementia goes up. So it is particularly important that a person never gets even the first stroke in the first place. Mm. Right, okay. Mm. Okay. Wow, wow that wow. is... Wow. <laughs> That's surprising, no? Yeah. I th- I, I'm, I'm surprised. Yeah, the dementia part threw me right off. Mm. I, I didn't think that yeah, was... About, yeah, so about 30% of people end up with some wood problems or maybe post-stroke depression because it does affect the... Uh, the neurocircuitry in ways that you are still starting to understand. Hmm. Wow. Wow. Okay. So, so what? What about what about recovery? You know, I mean, uh, I am sure sense. it's 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 different for all different types of stroke patients, right? How long is the average for someone to recover? We did ask if if the person would become back to the way they were or mm. originally. I tell you what, Very let's good let's let's go on the radio and uh, uh, we'll wrap it up on yeah. on yeah. the radio. On that, on that yeah? Okay, yeah. stand by. One FM ninety one point three. Welcome back to the Big Show and the Big Show TV. Welcome to our segment called Good Morning Doctor. And this morning we have Doctor Wee Chi Kyung, neurologist from Mount Elizabeth Hospital, with us. So, Doctor, earlier we were ta- uh, we've been talking about uh, stroke and 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 the kind of uh, things that we should be doing to lessen our um, possibilities of getting a stroke. But when it comes to strokes, there are different levels of severity, right? Uh, everything is there. There is a milder stroke, and then there's a more severe stroke. But in terms of recovery, how long does it take someone to recover from a stroke? A oh, very good question, Angel. And I guess that's the one that most people are concerned about, right? Mm. Will, will I recover function? Will I be disabled? Will I have my dignity back? So, uh, and, and this is something that we are getting to know more and more about. So, traditionally, we say stroke recovery takes between three to six months, right? So, it takes about three to six months for the brain to rewire itself, for the person to train themselves to regain as much function as they can. This tends to follow a point of a parabolic curve, and as such, after three to six months, your recovery maxes out. Oh. But uh, with, with newer studies, we find that younger patients uh, who suffer from severe strokes can continue to improve after the second year. Oh. Okay. And as we discussed earlier on, if you had a stroke, the risk of you getting dementia is about two times that of a patient match peer. So you kind of get that you kind of improve and then you tend to get other complications later on. So we are starting to see it more now as a dynamic process of uh, continuously evolving changes in the body. But you could say that traditionally we'd say your maximum recovery is between three to six months. Okay, mm. okay. If you stretch it a little, maybe up to a year. And right. then it kind of plateaus. Yes, that's right. Okay. So I guess the bottom line here is in order to prevent strokes, live... A healthy lifestyle. A healthy lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, which is just about the cure for everything, right? Right. <laughs> so yeah. And say, and get yeah. yourself checked regularly, regularly. especially mm. if you're above the age of sixty. Sixty. Mm. Yeah. Right. Um, check your blood pressure. Yeah. Uh, check for irregular heartbeat. 
Diabetes and, as well. Yeah. Your yeah. diabetes. Yeah. And check for high cholesterol. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing that I think uh, uh, is very common among uh, stroke patients, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, doctor, is uh, patients with hypertension and not knowing that they have, have hypertension, hypertension because it is a silent killer. Yes, it is. So <clears throat> hypertension is truly a silent killer. It, you have no signs of hypertension most of the time, and the pressure can remain elevated for prolonged periods. Or the while causing sudden damage to your arteries, you can mm. lead to having a stroke. You can get a heart attack from that. <clears throat> so it is a major health concern for most uh, most countries worldwide. Mm. In fact, I think recently, not recently, a couple of years ago, I did a a, a talk as well with the heart center doctors uh, where we said where the topic was hypertension, the sudden killer. Mm. Mm. You know, so so I, we cannot emphasize hypertension more. It is very common and it increases your risk significantly. So if that was one risk factor I want to control to prevent stroke, that is hypertension. Right. Mm. And for some patients uh, who need medication, I mean, don't, don't uh, um, you know, be stubborn and not take yes. your medication. Because yes. some it, people yeah. just need that medication. Yeah. Right. But yeah. most people think that by living uh, all of a sudden a, a healthier lifestyle, by exercising, the hypertension goes away. It's not the case for some people. Right, doctor? Some people need that medication to control the blood pressure. Yes, Glenn, you are perfectly right. Well, <clears throat> uh, in fact, we are quite utilitarian about this. If you can exercise, reduce your salt intake, and bring your blood pressure down, then well and good. But if you can't, then I think medicines are beneficial. Uh, you know, to to reduce your risk of you getting a cardiovascular event. Mm. Uh, one common misconception that people have is. Oh, I've taken the medicine. My pressure has come down. I'm cured. I don't need the medications anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's not exactly true. Actually, what we do with the pills is to bring your pressure down and keep it under control. So if you have hypertension, what we are saying is you have a permanent need for medications to help regulate your blood pressure. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So think of it like a vitamin pill or something to keep you healthy. You right. Know? Uh, don't think of it as medications. At the end of it all, what is far more important is, is not getting heart attacks or strokes or other than uh, popping pills. Yeah, absolutely. This is exactly what happened when I had my my heart attack, you know, because you're on medication and you can never get, you can't be off it. Mm. So it becomes, literally, it becomes your vitamin pill. You wake up in the morning and you just take it and you're done, you know. It's what you have to do. Okay. Okay. Unfortunately, Mm. that's all the time we have uh, with you, uh, Dr. Wee. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I know you've got a busy day ahead of you. Thank you so much for taking time off to speak to us this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Glenn, FD, and Angel. Awesome. See you guys. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Likewise. Keep on uh, doing the good work. Thank you very much, Doctor. See ya. Bye-bye.